here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 104.4 FM in Hermanus. On SAFM. Despite their awareness about the danger of consuming alcohol during pregnancy, some women still turn a blind eye and as a result give birth to children with fetal alcohol syndrome disease, otherwise FASD. This country has the highest prevalence of the disease in the world, which is more than 14 times the global average. Of course, the effects of prenatal alcohol exposure have lifelong implications and thus the disease is costly for society, not just for the family so concerned. In a country that has an incidence of 111 per thousand children, that's essentially one in 10, while the global average is just shy of eight in a thousand should we not relook really at interventions made to curb FASD? Because right now, this reads to me like a catastrophe. Your thoughts, Liana Olifir. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on your program. I'm honored. Yes, unfortunately, um, this is one of the crowns that we carry in, uh, in the world. Um, according to the World Health Organization and a lot of research that's been done internationally in this field, South Africa has the highest reported uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder right in the world. So just to put it a little bit into context, like, like you correctly stated, but let's uh, express it as percentages. Um, internationally, there's huge concern about the high prevalence um, of, of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in the world. And internationally, uh, uh, it's around um, more or less 1.5% of people affected with FASD. But in South Africa, we've got communities where the prevalence rate is as high as 28%. So in other words, 28% of people in a community affected because they've been exposed to alcohol pre-birth. So it's, a, it's a really very high. On average, um, it's estimated that our prevalence rate in South Africa, on average, is about 6%. So this is still, like you say, um, much higher than in the rest of the world. At, at what point then does society, both civic organizations and movements, to government, the highest office within it, led by perhaps the Department of Education and Health and Social Development, because a lot of probably the causes of this FASD are social challenges. At what point then do we as a nation, if you like, call ourselves into a family meeting and say, enough is enough, this is not sustainable, this is expensive, and this is a diminishing return for progressive generations of South Africa? When do we almost have that meeting that speaks of a crisis is on our hands and such measures have to be taken to effectively eat into this, these statistics, which are just absolutely deplorable? Yes, um, you, you're talking about it, it's expensive. Surely it's expensive because um, a person born with FASD, um, it's, a, it's a lifelong condition, so there's um, lifelong um, harm or uh, the disorder is with, uh, going to be with the person for the rest of his or her life. So we so often talk about children with FISD, but we forget that the children grow up as adults. And also, if uh, you quite often find in communities or in families, um, a granny that's affected with FISD, a mum, a dad, uncle, whatever. So it's a, uh, sometimes a generational thing um, because it is 
um, acceptable, so acceptable in some communities and families to use alcohol that people don't actually think that it is, they don't realize how dangerous it is to use, uh, to drink alcohol um, during pregnancy. And as for calling a meeting and, you know, talk about this and to say, you know, how are we going to stop this crisis and what are we going to do about it? Quite often when we um, in the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research start working in a community, um, it is, it's um, unbelievable to see how many people still do not know about this condition. And then when we start working in communities, people or start doing research also in communities, people so often point fingers to the women, women of childbearing age and pregnant women, saying that they are the people who should take responsibility. And my question is also, or always, but where is the father of the, the child? Where is the family? Where are the friends? So it's each and every one of us, um, our responsibility to, you know, support women of uh, um, childbearing age to have healthy pregnancy, alcohol-free pregnancy and healthy babies. You know, we've got this beautiful saying in Africa, you need a village to raise a child. So we need a village to raise, to prevent mm. a child from being mm. born with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Let's talk about the fact that a lot of these, and perhaps this might be, I'm not so sure, and you can correct us, Dr. Liana Olifir is the CEO of the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. This condition, this disease is consistent with social issues in such communities or certainly in such persons who well, they suffer, but of course their parents would have been the one who would have been faced with the social conditions that are difficult. How, how true is that? And because if we know that to be true, then at least we have a starting point in terms of where the challenge is. And once we know where the challenge is, we might be in a better position to identify the needs that would relieve such challenges. Yeah, um, I'm so glad you're asking the, the question because... Um, so often people think that um, uh, this condition is only prevalent in, in certain sectors of the community. And it is a, a condition that is prevalent in all walks of life, in, every, in different, uh, every single cultural or religious group. Um, all, all you uh, need is a woman who is pregnant who is using alcohol during pregnancy. You do not need to be an alcoholic to have a child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Even small uh, medium amounts of alcohol can be harmful to, uh, to the unborn child. So um, it is prevalent all over, quite often because it's a, such a complex, um, condition to diagnose because you need a medical diagnosis, you need a psychological testing to make sure that you're not dealing with anything else um, that might give you the same type of signs and symptoms and behavior, and then you need an in-depth maternal interview as well. So you need those three diagnostic legs before you can make a proper diagnosis. So it's a very complex diagnosis to make. So quite often, um, when we, in, especially in our private clinic, we get um, a patients referred to us um, who have uh, been diagnosed incorrectly by, uh, by other um, you know, medical specialists or psychologists or whatever um, and then go through life with you know, getting treatment for things that's, that actually they're not suffering from and it's, um, in, in reality they've got fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So it is not a problem that only, um, you only find in a certain area or in a certain community. 891 thoughts please to Dr. Liana Olifir. We're talking about 
the consumption of alcohol during pregnancy and the effects that has on the unborn child, on the newborn baby and the person much later in life, right through into adulthood. And the costs associated with dealing with that disease, not just in the person, but in the family setup or in the community at large, and how much of that is a joint responsibility of society, because as Liana has said, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think in that sense, it must be borne collectively the responsibility to ensure that these numbers, as we read out earlier on, decrease and decrease at a rapid rate. I'm sensitive to the question I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because, I mean, sometimes certain questions have to be asked for what they are, as opposed to just go on perceptions at times, which may be wrong. The farming communities, particularly in the Western Cape, they, they there was that payment system. It's or the DOP system, correct. The, the, how much has the DOP system contributed, not just in the individuals concerned, but in creating and developing a culture which has now not necessarily gone too far, but but certainly has become so entrenched that it would be very difficult to just uproot that practice of the DOP system altogether because the community that it affects mostly now, if not dependent on it, have accepted it as a norm. I'm so glad you're asking this uh, question. Um, the, the first uh, research that's been done in South Africa was done, in, in fact, by um, community research by our organization. And it was done in uh, 1997 to 2001. And the, the children involved in that study, they were between six to about nine years of age. So um, in that study, we, uh, we still found that there were um, uh, parents who uh, participated or their parents participated in the in the top system, but as we know the the, the top system is illegal in south africa um, and and um, in fact, yes. if you know about um, somebody who is practicing the top system, you should report it to the police. So up till today, that is still a very crucial part of the research that we, we do to find out if uh, there, there has been an exposure to, to the TOT system. Um, so in the very first study, uh, studies that, that were done during that period, it was done in the Western Thai province and it was done in a farming community. So, but for some unexplained reason, that got stuck in, in um, some of our minds. So people still think up till today that it's um, a, a condition that's more prevalent in farming communities and uh, amongst uh, farm workers. But since then, we have done um, 16 other community prevalence studies. We've done st uh, studies in, in cities like Kimberley and in Gauteng and in Port Elizabeth and in, um, well, all other um, places in Northern Cape, yes. Eastern Cape, Free State, uh, etc. And not in farming communities. And we found exactly mm -hmm. the same. Uh, you know, the prevalence, in fact, the prevalence rate is the highest in the Northern Cape province, not in the Western Cape province. So it's again not something that's, that's only on the farms. But like you correctly said, that the thought system might have created um, a legacy of drinking in, in some communities. But that does not explain what has happened mm. in communities where people were never exposed to the thought system. So what the reality is, is that in South Africa, we've got a 
drinking culture. Not all of us are heavy drinkers in South Africa. A big percentage of South Africans do not drink at all. But those of us who are drinking, we are... Make up for those who do. Yeah, yeah, and we drink a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and, 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 and I think South Africans need to own up to that because when the taps were closed, so to speak, well, the healthcare industry would be the first to tell you what a relief it was to be working in the trauma section of most, if not all, hospitals and not have to deal with the alcohol-related trauma that otherwise they probably are now dealing with since the taps, if you like, have been open. How do we as a society then engage that conversation in terms of we have a drinking problem and let's call it what it is, and the more you, if you like, protest that statement, the more you are probably the reason why we have in the first place that problem. Mm. Yeah, you, you know, in, in South Africa, and I think this is, this is a, a, a problem all over the world, we find it difficult to celebrate anything without having alcohol. And um, we, there was a huge outcry when there was the, uh, the alcohol was, uh, selling of alcohol was banned during the um, uh, level five, um, four and three um, mm-hmm. lockdown mm-hmm. period. Um, but it, it is amazing how creative people are and how, um, you know, people, uh, how the home brewing um, in this yeah. up. I mean, you know, we couldn't buy pineapples at this stage, but it's amazing to see the recipes and how creative people are, and people made their own booze. And we had quite serious problems with, uh, firstly, people who, who could not get access to alcohol and they addicted, and then um, alcohol poisoning also because of the concoctions that people make and mix um, just to make the drink that they produce a, a stronger, um, etc. So a huge problem. Um, you, in so often in health promotion programs and in training programs, and you see that on adverts in the TV and radio as well, people refer to, all these messages refer to sensible drinking or responsible drinking. But if you ask people really what what is meant by responsible drinker, um, um, uh, responsible drinking behavior. It's actually shocking to see how little people know about the harmful effects of of alcohol on their bodies and, you know, where to stop. When is it enough? When when are you, you know, getting to the point where you are putting your body and yourself in danger? So a lot of educational work still needs to be done and we need to talk to our children about this and help our children also to make decisions about, you know, when are you going to start using alcohol? Are you going to use alcohol? If yes, what 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 is the safe way way of doing the responsible way of doing it? So a lot of let's talk about work. children. Let's talk about engaging children. When I was a lighty, I would wait for when there was ever an event at home to literally go and just finish those bottles that were. I mean, that last drop. I I loved that, mm-hmm. and I got a lekker warm clap, and that was the end of it. <laughs> There are many who are not as unfortunate or fortunate. There are many who do that and they develop a culture and a habit and, so to speak, before long that horse is bolted. How do we responsibly engage children to embrace? Because alcohol is not going to disappear, that's a fact. So how do we embrace alcohol so that you can bring up a generation that uh, that has a responsible relationship with liquor? I'm asking this question because, for instance, in Europe, Italy particularly, because I've been there, children as young as 12, 13, 14, sit at a dinner table with their parents 
and enjoy wine. In Portugal, it would be port. So their early exposure with alcohol is in a responsible environment, not in a loud environment, not in an environment where there is no control, such that by the time where their parents are no longer at the dinner table and they are elsewhere, the transition into liquor, so to speak, isn't as, for instance, in South Africa, where in my household anyway, it was frowned upon until I went to university where I was, goodness gracious me, I was a wild animal that had been released from the shackles. And I could have gone that route, but I chose not to. Many, of course, have gone down that route and the consequences are what, among other things, we're talking about. How do we engage children more responsibly? Yeah, um, there is, of course, very valid and medical and psychological reasons why there's a, a limit or, you know, an age... Did we just lose Dr. Liana Olifir? Oh, man. Anyway, we do have three, four minutes, and I was on my penultimate question to her, not that my producers like that particular word penultimate because they always think I go overboard. If there is a caller who feels very strongly about something that we have touched on this evening, I would please, please, please ask that you call and make it very snappy. For now, I'm just going to read a couple of messages that have come through. Oh, I beg your pardon. Hello, I understand Hello. Liana's back. Yes, yes, carry on, Liana. Carry on. Hello. I, I, I just thought you thought I dropped dead when you asked about the children drinking. Um, I was about to say it is, um, uh, it is, there's a very, uh, there are very important reasons why we have limitations on, or you know, underage drinking age and whatever, because basically uh, at a, a young age, um, a, a child's body uh, finds it very difficult to metabolize alcohol. So that's a long story that I'm not going to go into. The, so the, the age limit of 18 years, and we know that there's a, in some sectors in South Africa, there's pressure that we uh, should, uh, should raise it to 21 um, years and so. But what you said, what is very important is the children are watching us how we are using alcohol. So we're setting an example. So if we're going overboard with the, um, the use of alcohol and get drunk and, you know, like loud and whatever, that is what they see and that is how they model their behavior. So the examples that you are uh, you used are examples of responsible drinking. But the important thing is to talk to your children about it and to tell your children that you, and I'm, I know the listeners will have various ideas on this, but um, my advice is always have a discussion with your child. Talk about the choices that you have. You've got a choice, firstly, to say, I never ever want to use alcohol. I'm going to abstain for the rest of my life. Or you've got a choice of saying, I am going to go flat out and I'm going to party and I'm going to. And those are, in my mind, the easy choices. The difficult choice is, I want to use alcohol and I'm going to use it responsibly. Because then you need to know your body and you need to know you cannot drink and you cannot drive or you can, cannot be a pedestrian on the road. road. So wh when is it enough? And the World Health Organization guidelines on that is for adult people and women who are not pregnant. Mm. So for men, mm. not more than two drinks per day. And a, a drink is like if we take, for example, a beer, I'm talking about 300 milliliters of beer, or a white wine or red wine, about 125 milliliters, not these big glasses that look like you know, fish goblets. 
And then um, if you have a, a brandy or Coke, just one top. So it's not a lot of uh, drink. That's one drink. So for men, not more than two uh, of that per day. And then for, for ladies, not more than one. And then, of course, if, when you're pregnant or planning a pregnancy, no alcohol. So this is not a lot of alcohol. So if we listen to this now, I'm sure that people would say, wow, I am actually drinking more than that on average. Mm-hmm. Doc, you know what? My producers are... Well, this is what they say. Dr. Leona is chatty. We should call her back. After all, she deals with alcohol-related issues. We most certainly are going to make good on that because this conversation, by a long shot, is not over. Thank you so much, nonetheless, for your time up until now. CEO of the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research, Dr. Liana Olifir. Bye, danke, my friend. Bye, danke. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Indeed. Indeed. We are now done with the viewpoint, everybody. Let's go back to normal scheduling now. Story time and soapy time.